Hello and welcome to the PSG Think Big series podcast. In today's podcast, Bruce Whitfield speaks to the CEO of MTN Group, Mr. Ralph Mupita, on the future of the mobile industry. It turns out that early 1990s estimates that South Africa would need 60, maybe 70,000 cell phones tops were a bit of an underestimation. There are tens of millions of devices, not only in South Africa, but across the African continent and into the Middle East as well. Welcome to the Think Big series. It's brought to you by PSG. My name is Bruce Whitfield, and today you're getting independent insights into the world of telecommunications, specifically into the world of MTN, and more specifically than that, into the mind and the thinking of its chief executive, Ralph Mupita. Ralph Mupita was born in Zimbabwe. He was educated at UCT and at Harvard University, and he is an engineer by training. He did work as a civil engineer for a couple of years, building roads and bridges, no doubt, and since then has been building new inroads into the world of insurance, and most latterly, for the last two years, as chief executive of MTN. Ralph Mopita is with us on the uh, on the gathering today. And Ralph Mopita, lovely to have you. Um, about, what, three, four years ago, Rob Shooter uh, returns from Europe, takes over as chief executive of MTN and brings together the most astonishing <laughs> group of A-type personalities, former CEOs, divisional heads, really strong individuals, and brings them all into a group as a new ex-co at MTN. That must have been an enormously exciting time. Yeah, thanks very much, Bruce. And uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, we joined, uh, actually, it's about five years ago. I've been at MTN five years, so time does fly. And, uh, you know, we were coming into the time when the company uh, had had its challenges uh, from the 2015 uh, SIM registration fine in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, our role and responsibilities there as a collective uh, was to try and get the company back on track in terms of its performance and ensuring that um, we would be able to uh, realize the full potential in the business. So, yeah, it's it's been a very interesting time. And as you say, in the early days, uh, myself, Rob, uh, Ian, Stephen from Collar, and a whole host of other guys, all in one room trying to figure all of this out. And um, was it tense? I mean, lots of people, strong-minded individuals, strong personalities, people who'd called the shots in their own enterprises. Did it ever get a little bit edgy? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it got edgy in the way that, uh, you know, people may, you know, assume, uh, you know, you know, four former CEOs all in one room having different roles. I mean, we, we, we took it as an absolute challenge to try and uh, get the company back on track. Um, and, um, you know, we all knew we brought different skills, uh, you know, into the role. I mean, I had more emerging markets experience than most on the team. I understood the continent. Uh, you know, better than most, but, you know, these guys were, you know, um, you know, long-time telco people, and I'm a financial services guy, but importantly, you know, the company was also moving towards financial services, so I brought that additional weight in as well. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was actually great. It was a great time and experience, uh, uh, you know, working together, and um, yeah, I mean, Jens and myself are probably the last, uh, uh, you know, two men standing from the, the original team. But it's, it's astonishing that that Nigerian fine was in 2015. Um, it mm -hmm. dates everybody because everyone's got, really? 2015? Um, and it feels just like yesterday for those of us on the outside. 
Uh, talk to me about the shape of MTN as it is at the moment, because MTN goes through this astonishing growth phase throughout the African continent. It starts buying mm. businesses all over the Middle East. And you, I think, have been gradually sort of dismantling some of that. And mm. it feels like a more holistic Africa-focused telecommunications company now. Would that be a correct assessment? Yeah, that would be a correct assessment. I mean, I think uh, MTN, you could argue that MTN is now kind of in the third chapter. Uh, if you were to write a book about MTN, it's the third chapter. I mean, the first chapter would have been, uh, you know, um, post-democracy, uh, uh, you know, coming in South Africa in 1994 and building out a voice-centric network, going into, you know, some of the Southeast African regions like Uganda, uh, Rwanda, those were some of the first markets. Um, and then the, there was the the Investcom deal uh, in about 2005. But at that time, it was a very voice-centric business, very little infrastructure uh, for wireless communication across the markets. So that's chapter one. And, you know, we were generating, you know, infinite service revenue growth and returns. And then the second chapter would have been the time when data services started coming in around 2007, 2008. Um, and, you know, the economics of the business uh, changed because data was very capital intensive and the return profile started to moderate and actually, uh, you know, looked a little bit poorer. Uh, break that down Break that down for me a little bit, please, because Steve yeah. Jobs, thanks to him, we have devices like this and many of them. And nowadays, every device is a smart device. Yeah. Um, BlackBerry thought they had the smart device, but I think we've yeah. learned since then that these things are far more versatile and astonishing in what they do. And it's mm. all well and good to have the device, but unless you have the network infrastructure that supports that ability for these things to connect and connect to the internet, yeah. it's a complete waste of time. And that's the, the game changer in 2007 and 2008 in terms of the economics of telecommunications. Absolutely. You're right, Bruce. Because what happened with the, with the iPhone was, I mean, actually... And that was the, the, the point of transformation where, you know, the phone became the computer um, and uh, the access to the Internet and, um, and, and fundamentally, you know, created a whole host of services which people call over the top, uh, the OTTs, so to speak, you know, the streaming services that we now all enjoy. But, you know, basically riding off the back of telecommunications infrastructure. And what happened 2007, 2008 to pretty much maybe even maybe two to three years ago, if not right now, is that, um, you know, all the profit pools went to the over-the-top services, you know, your Netflix, um, <clears throat> your Apples, um, your Facebooks, um, et cetera. They were the ones who benefited in an outsized way for the development of all this digital infrastructure. Um, and that was off the back of smartphones. And um, so, you know, the, the, the real profits were to be made, uh, you know, from over-the-top services. And the telco operators didn't actually build services that are adjacent to the telecommunications, or if they did, they weren't successful. So that's what happened 2007 to 2008 to pretty much, uh, you, know, um, you know, the last couple of years. And I mean, obviously, as MTN, we're trying to, to look at this very differently. And that's why I say that that was the second chapter. And now the third chapter... What we're trying to do, you know, um, you know, from an MTN perspective um, is to show that, you know, Africa is different. You can actually build the infrastructure and either build the services or curate the services around the, 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 the infrastructure. And for us, financial services is, is one of those areas that, uh, you know, seem, uh, you know, very obvious for us to expand into. 
Uh, I want to get into some of the nitty gritty of mobile money and this astonishing ability suddenly, you know, what, 15 years after M-Pesa takes the, the continent by storm, suddenly it has real competition. But let's get on to that in, in just a moment. The, the shape of MTN then, is it an Africa-focused business? Are you exiting all of the Middle Eastern countries? Are you going to stay in some of them? Yeah, I mean, part of our strategy now is that we, we really want to simplify the group and, and kind of focus and allocate our human and capital resource to the African continent. Um, you know, we've exited, uh, you know, Syria, we, we've exited Yemen, you know, we are, you know, you know, um, looking at exiting um, Afghanistan. We'd made some good progress in the last year, but, you know, the events there, you know, set us back a little bit. Uh, but, you know, our strategy is to exit the Middle East and just purely be a pan-African business. I think, you know, with, with uh, simplifying the portfolio, I can spend more of my time on matters in Nigeria, South Africa, Ghana, et cetera. So we are exiting the Middle East um, and uh, want to be purely focused on the opportunities that we see, uh, you know, within the African continent. How many customers have you got? I mean, when I, I'm thinking 300 million, it's probably closer to 320 or even north of that. Where are no, you? No, 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 quite there. I mean, we, we were at the last uh, reporting period about 272. So, um, so, so not too far from your 300 millions, but uh, 272. Um, you know, you know, Nigeria being the biggest uh, by some distance, 68 million. South Africa, 32. So, you know, South Africa, and Nigeria are our two largest markets. You know, basically, uh, pretty much 100 million. Uh, you know, subscribers uh, within these two markets. And it underpins, I suppose, your determination to get Nigeria right, because a lot of people at the time of that fine in 2015 will say, look, saying, hold on a second, but, you know, this is MTN being held over a barrel and being held hostage, but you've negotiated your way through the settlement payments and tax dis uh, dis discussions and all sorts of other things. I think very carefully, a little bit like somebody who might be playing hopscotch in a minefield, um, not wanting to agitate regulators in that market because it is a big and flourishing and important and vast opportunity still. Yeah, I mean, Nigeria is 40% of our earnings. So, I um, mean, it's not a business that we can say, well, look, it's um, it's trivial, small, let's, let's get out of it, let's not focus. You know, we believe we need to make it work and we feel that Nigeria you know, will, you know, continue to be a medium term, the long term, an important part of the, the MTN group. So, I mean, you know, there's enormous opportunity in Nigeria. I mean, if you think about, let's say, smartphone penetration is 50%. So only only one in two Nigerians on our network uses a smartphone. South Africa is more like 80, 85%. Um, and, uh, you know, the bulk of our revenues in Nigeria are still voice. Uh, so though data is growing very quickly, fintech will come up quite nicely over the medium term. Um, the growth opportunities there are significant. And, uh, you know, we've got a great network there, a leading network, got a great team on the ground. Um, as in any market, you've got to navigate, um, you know, the risk um, environment um, and manage the, the stakeholders uh, well as well. And, uh, you know, we've made quite a lot of changes in the Nigerian business over time. We have a, a refresh board, you know, very ably led by, uh, you know, Dr. Ernest Nduque, Carl Toriola has come in um, and, uh, you know, we got a new strategy and uh, we, we, we've been looking to execute it. And uh, we think in the last two years, we've, we've been making progress. So Nigeria is a market that we really determined to make work, um, you know, once in a while, there bumps along the way. But if you look at the return profile, you know, we put in, you know, um, you know, the, the initial capital that went into that business quality, you know, close on to three, 400 
million dollars. Um, um, that's given you know investors over the last uh, 20 years plus you know an exceptional return, or uh, even on a risk-adjusted basis. And as I mean, we see when one looks at your results, one looks at the ARPUs, which is my favorite thing to say when it comes to telecommunications companies, average revenue per user, gradually that begins to come down as people transition from voice into um, and into data consumption and making WhatsApp calls and circumventing the traditional ways of, of communicating. And more and more people are communicating via platforms like WhatsApp and others and not doing the voice communication. But you seem to have multiple stages of life of the business. So while one South African market seems to be maturing far more quickly than perhaps other markets, others are in later stages of development, which then gives you a, 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 an opportunity, I think, to sort of flex and change the business over time, evolve it. No, absolutely. I mean, to your point, South Africa, I mean, we don't have voice growth in South Africa. So we, we, we look at uh, the level of voice shrinkage year on year. Um, and if we are kind of, you know, low, um, somewhere between you know, minus nine to minus 5% voice growth in South Africa, it's a victory. But you know, in Nigeria, we've got very healthy voice growth, um, you know, as we have in, uh, in a market like, uh, um, like Ghana. So the kind of S-curves, uh, we've got a couple of S-curves across our business. South Africa is probably the most modern um, um, business that we have that's consolidated. Actually, Iran, which is an investment, is probably even more sophisticated um you know as as a business and much more mature so we have you know different businesses that are on different levels of maturity and the most mature is is, is relatively south africa uh nigeria ghana kotiwa cameroon these are businesses that are still you know adding you know uh subscriber bases where people are for the first time using the phone uh you know let, let alone use data services so you're absolutely right in 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 the context of our 19 markets um, you know, different, uh, you know, stages of growth that gives us the momentum and the growth that you, you'd have seen the last couple of years. Uh, and cell phone companies are increasingly being seen like railway line layers uh, as the tracks upon which the future is built. And as America opened up in the 18th, 19th century, we saw railway lines going in first and industry followed in the yeah. same way. I think that is the sort of big vision for what mobile telecommunications does in terms of laying digital railway tracks into the future. No, for sure. And actually, that's, that whole kind of laying of the digital railways started at that particular point in time in 20, 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. uh, when the iPhone came, because we started building, you know, data-capable kind of networks uh, and pouring, you know, in, in quite a bit of capital. But people were then calling them the dump pipes. Uh, you know, it, it's a utility. Um, and so we've been, you know, as MTN fighting that categorization that we just railroads and kind of dump pipes um, that we can actually, you know, deliver, you know, services on top of the infrastructure uh, that can generate, uh, you know, you know, top line growth and also improving return profile. Um, but what has happened since COVID, um, Bruce, is that I think, you know, let's call them nation states, countries more broadly, have realized that actually this digital infrastructure, uh, these are um, you know systemically important assets for a country. Um, you know, it's not just you know electricity that's important. It's not just banking systems, and even electricity and banking systems. The, the, uh, you know, some of this infrastructure sits um, you know uh, has as a foundation uh, the telecommunication services. I mean, banking in particular. So there there is an increased um, awareness since COVID. 
that this is critical infrastructure that needs uh, the right level of investment, uh, you know, going into the networks to make sure that everybody has access to, uh, you know, um, you know, the, you know, to data services, um, and it's of high quality. I don't know what your favorite phone ever was. Mine was the 3310 made by Nokia. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Fabulous, fabulous device, very good at talking on, very good at sending eventually an SMS if you could, you know, if you could get the predictive text right, and you could play yeah. a fabulous game of snake on the phone. But imagine if COVID had hit in the analog era of the 3310. I yeah. think we we had, I mean, as far as, you know, if the planets were all aligned, we couldn't have timed the COVID crisis better from a digital infrastructure point of view in terms of that ability to switch from office to home for those who could. It made the world of difference, I would suspect. No, absolutely. You're right. I mean, and, and we've been building our networks ahead of demand, actually, across our markets at MT. And, and uh, so we've, we've had headroom in our network to take on more traffic. I mean... We saw, um, you know, to your point, um, um, at the end of uh, 20, 2019, uh, you know, a, a surge, um, you know, of uh, traffic, you know, through COVID. And actually, we kind of think that we're, we're behind the worst touch wood of uh, the COVID lockdown effects. So to your point, it was, it was fortuitous. I mean, obviously, COVID has had uh, a lot of negative impacts, yeah. um, lives and livelihoods. But from a an industry perspective, the the one that we're in, um, you know, we're able to you know uh, enable people to you know find some sem uh, sense of normality in terms of you know can they carry on going to work, you know can you know, kids go to school, but what that also did it shone a light on the inequities in societies, Bruce, which oh, yeah. was yeah people like you and I could carry on working, but there's a whole host of people who didn't have that infrastructure, and now. This is where I said the governments have woken up to say, well, actually, we can't leave people behind. And therefore, we need to make sure that we create an environment where you, the telecommunications company, can make a decent return, but make sure that you provide infrastructure as broadly as possible, because that infrastructure is being provided by private companies, not by the state. And here's the big challenge that you face, because you're facing enormous social and, and, and public pressure and state pressure on the one hand to make massive investments on the other side you're facing consumer pressure to keep cutting costs it's almost like there's a race to zero here and you're expected to be spending tens of billions of of rand every single year improving access where do you hit a balance between those two i think the conversations today are actually a lot more mature and and um, you know to use your word a lot more balanced uh, you know with stakeholders more broadly we understand that this is a very capital intensive industry i mean as mtn we spend two billion dollars just putting you know capex per annum just making sure the networks you know, can carry the the volume um of data traffic um you know across our network um i mean the increasing conversations are about you know what is the right market structure um and you know we, we have a point of view as mtn um that says um you know there are not enough profit pools um uh, there, there's not enough of a profit pool for multiple players across our markets. I mean, even the US is now a three player market. So if you're gonna put the level of CapEx that we need to put um, in, in the ground to build our networks, um, we, we need um, predictable regulations, uh, number one. We need sufficient spectrum um, and we will be able to deliver ubiquitous digital services and make a decent return. Um, so we are in many respects you know, pushing for an agenda of regulatory certainty best we can so we can plan ahead 
um, and um, and and their appropriate market structures. I mean, the days of five, six player markets or even four player markets um, in a country, not just South Africa, but more broadly across our markets, um, it's not sustainable. There's not enough of a profit pool to make for people to be to to then say, I'm going to get a, the right return. So I think in in the markets we're in, I think you're going to see uh, you know consolidation. Consolidation is inevitable because the amount of capital investment that will be required to move from 3G, 4G, and ultimately 5G will be of such a nature that number threes, number fours, number five cannot make a decent return on the invested capital. But you know, one, two, and three, you know, it's it's quite possible. And as I say, look at the US, three players. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about Spectrum for a long time and Spectrum's very boring and you like it, you're an engineer, um, but it's these bands of communication. So your garage remote operates in one band and you listen to the radio in another band and police radios and emergency services use another band. And then there is another band in which telecommunications yeah. players can play. And that's been quite a narrow band. Recently, we've seen that band widened by government that has made additional spectrum available. But there's still a lot of disagreement as to how that has played out. Is it going to hold things back in terms of opening up the market further? Look, we're very happy in the market like South Africa that uh, we've had this uh, multi-band uh, spectrum auction um, you know, finally come through. Many, many years of waiting for this. And we've probably lost a decade and a half of uh, development in South Africa. Because, um, you know, right now I look at MT in South Africa, we now have 179 megahertz of multiband spectrum. That's the same as Zambia, okay? Um, and Zambia is a much smaller market. And, you know, markets like Nigeria and others have more spectrum. I mean, spectrum is the oxygen of networks. And uh, the more spectrum you have, the more you can be efficient. So to this point that we want universal access uh, for everybody in terms of their ability to connect and at a decent price. Uh, Spectrum has a role to play in that. And so from a South African perspective, uh, we've made enormous amount of progress uh, in the last couple of weeks where, you know, this successful auction and credit to ICASA for having held uh, the auction, notwithstanding some of the challenges. Um, uh, so from some of the, the, the operators, uh, we challenged last year, but this year we weren't challenging. But I, I think as we think about the, 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 the new technologies that will come like 5G, um, you, you're just going to need a lot, lot more spectrum. So the spectrum auction helps a bit. Uh, you know, when we look at our own traffic, uh, in, you know, forecasts for the next uh, five to ten years, um, what we secured now will help us for the next three to four years. Uh, in you, three years do you see a future where somebody could get into a, a driverless car in Johannesburg, go to sleep, and wake up in one piece? in Cape Town, courtesy of 5G connectivity, because that's what's required for these driverless cars. Do you see that happening ever? Or are we just too big, too vast, too disparate to even begin to dream the Elon Musk dream? I think part of the Elon Musk dream is 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 very accessible in the next uh, you know, five or so years. Um, I mean, we're seeing some of that um, you know, um, you know, um, autonomous vehicle. We're seeing it in mining. I mean, we're doing POCs, uh, proof of concepts, uh, for private networks using 5G. Um, and, you know, you're going to have driverless vehicles on an open cast mining, uh, you know, um, you know, pit in, in some part of Northwest uh, South Africa. So there's part of that dream that I, I think is, is probably already here. But there's the dream that says you, Bruce and I can uh, drive Cape to Cairo uh, and fall asleep and we won't crash. I mean, you know, time will tell. 
but there, there is a lot i think that uh, will surprise us on the other side of technology such as 5g um around private networks you know how that feeds into uh, i use mining because not mining is the thing that we're looking at right now um but you know um if you look at ports um you know you go to the you know you know the, the ports in durban and other areas they're going to be use cases for kind of you know quite massive machine to machine interconnectivity because that's what you know 5g basically is is just an interconnected of machines and it, it, at this stage it's more localized it's more regionalized you can do it yeah. in a confined space but this idea yeah. of ubiquitous 5g coverage is perhaps yeah. a little bit further away the great opportunity of course and it's an opportunity that you're exploring further and further and further is this idea of mobile money i mentioned the enemy earlier in mpesa um very successful in kenya brought to south africa didn't work here simply because the banking systems are so evolved and you know not necessary in a country like ours but the wonder of mobile connectivity and the wonder of digital transactions, and I think most people by now are used to these digital transactions. This is strikes me not only from a, a banking perspective, but with your experience in insurance, you can tell me if I'm barking up the wrong tree, but whether there's an insurance opportunity, this massive fintech revolution that we see taking place in little pockets all over the place suddenly becomes the growth area for financial services in a telco environment in the next decade no absolutely and bruce you know the, the the customer journey the typical customer journey for our telecommunications customers is that they top up at time you know uh, daily or weekly so they go to the end of the street there's an mtn agent wearing his uh, his or her you know yellow ribbon and they give them cities and they convert that cities into airtime and they use the airtime but what we've created now is a platform where they give us those cities and you create e-money which allows them to you know also to to transact and be financially included. So we're leveraging that infrastructure, you know, to be able to provide people who had you know you know traditionally not been uh, given access by traditional banks or traditional insurers, because the cost of access, the cost of distribution was too prohibitive. So we are just leveraging an existing distribution footprint to get to that last mile. I mean, and we can make a decent margin with a dollar fifty. Uh, to $2.50 ARPU, to use your favorite terminology, on financial services. And I think a traditional bank will battle to make, mm -hmm. um, you know, the economics work. So, you know, what we're doing, we often think of it as driving financial inclusion, going beyond that last mile uh, to be able to, uh, to enable people who have not been provided for by a traditional financial services. So you come back to the, your South Africa example. South Africa has got very deep financial um, uh you know services you know um, um but we still think that even in south africa there's a there's still a, a cash economy where you know a mobile money business you know could still be you know uh, relatively successful it's not the success we see in ghana or may see in nigeria but there's still an opportunity so th th this this ability for us to drive financial inclusion much deeper you know you know excites us and you know we'll work with banks um they'll they'll partner us um, so this is a win-win game. And I think if you look at the M-Pesa example, is M-Pesa did not result in equity bank not growing strongly in retail because those, uh, that money that they bring from under the mattresses, so to speak, end up as float in banks. No, so, but precisely. Um, Inclusion yeah. is precisely that. It brings everybody into, into the system. I, I blame the World Economic Forum um, for coming up with the term fourth industrial revolution because it's become the crutch for anybody, particularly in politics, when it comes to, oh my goodness me, the future. Oh no, the fourth industrial revolution will sort that out. 
Uh, and then when you dig a scratch just a little below the surface, you realize that the vast majority of people have got not a cooking clue what they're talking about when it comes to how digital transforms the world. When you look at this African continent a decade from now, what has been the impact of these devices of a network such as yours in terms of perhaps helping us bridge the poverty gap that exists between the African continent and so many other parts of the world? No, you're absolutely right, Bruce. I mean, I think uh, digital infrastructure and digital services have an ability to uh, enable Africa to leapfrog uh, in many ways. And as much as we've never had really fixed networks outside of South Africa, um, you know, the rest of the continent, communication services have come through from wireless communication. And that has had obviously an effect in accelerating economic growth and social progress. People are able to communicate, don't get left behind. Um, and you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a business opportunity uh, still. I mean, people think about mobile uh, telecommunication as a, a business to customer, B two C opportunity. I think it will fast become a B two B you know business. And as we move from the digital connectivity and services, uh, we, you know, we're looking at uh, you know financial services. So it's in many ways can actually aid you know economic uh, and social progress across our markets. I think the one thing that will be different across Africa is that we, we are going to pursue a much more an open access model to infrastructure to make sure that the returns that we can generate are sensible. So I think the competition on infrastructure you know, in years to come will be much less. We are going to have much more competition on services um, and we're going to open up our infrastructure. We're talking about you know, uh, carving out our own fiber assets and data centers. Um, part of it is to create an open uh, um, uh, access model, bring other investors to deploy their capital as we build out our businesses and improve our own return profile. And as I said, I think that you know, ultimately in years to come, you'll have fewer operators, but very strong operators who are able to provide you ubiquitous you know, 4G, 5G services. We're not going to have 2G and 3G services five years from now. Um, you know, you know, voice will be voice over LTE. And all data will be 4G, 5G. These are much more efficient technologies. So, I mean, there's also the opportunity of a single digital marketplace. And that's the one thing that I'm hoping that uh, while I'm CEO at MTN, we're able to work with uh, the AU to, to create a single digital marketplace. Because now we have the you know, African continental free trade area. The one thing that we can actually push quite quickly to, you know, um, where there are no tariff big issues that to deal with is actually to say, let's build a single digital marketplace. And maybe the crisis that we're finding ourselves a little bit with Ukraine and Russia will we'll concentrate our minds as Africans to say, you know, let's not waste uh, this crisis. There's a big opportunity for us right now. Ralph Mopita, we will leave it there. I thank you very, very, very much for your time. And I thank you for watching. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. It's a hashtag ThinkBigPSG. It is part of a much broader series of lots of discussions with lots of interesting and influential people. And we bring that to you courtesy of PSG. It's free, it's shareable, it's open to absolutely everyone. So I hope they'll do precisely that. Go to your browser, copy and paste, or just click on the share button and send it to everybody you know. Thank you so much for watching. Have a very good rest of your day. Bye-bye.